Well, good morning, Lake City. Good morning. Have you ever noticed that sometimes children ask the most insightful questions? Here's one. A Sunday school teacher was teaching her children the benefits of unselfishness. She concluded by saying, the reason you are here in this world, children, is to help others. And after a moment's silence, one little girl asked, well then, what are the others here for? <laughs> All right, I wondered how that would go over. But this little girl is on to something. Why are we all here? Why is this new building here? Is it just so we can, a place for people to come and watch and receive something? Is there something more? It's interesting, in the, in the entire history of the church, 2,000 years worth of history, there's been this phenomenon, this, this tendency to look at pastors, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, those people who do the work of the ministry. And, and there's a label that's been put on those people, clergy. And then there are the people who are ministered to that are called laity. And, and in, in that kind of a two-person system, it's, it's no wonder why people ask, well, what's everyone here for? Um, this kind of thinking has been called the clergification of the church, that there is this clergy that does all the work of the ministry and all the ministering and then this laity. These aren't Bible terms. And in fact, this is not Bible thinking. Right? What this is is the thinking of the world that's crept into the church. To the world says, here I am, I've paid my fee. Here I am now, entertain me. But that's worldly thinking. That is not biblical thinking at all. And the Apostle Paul in our text today in Romans tells us that's not how Christian worship works. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. See, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to every single believer to use in the church to carry out all the ministries that the church is here for. So we're, we're starting a three-week sermon series this morning on setting goals. The series, as you just saw, is called Press On. And Pastor Jim begins each new year uh, with something like this, taking advantage of the opportunity, the natural season, uh, while everybody in our culture is kind of rethinking their lives, evaluating what's most important in your life, and, and setting up action plans to get there. So this is exciting, and it's, it's a joy to me to begin the series with a message from God's Word in Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. I'm calling God's gifts our goals. And you can turn with me there right now, if you will, Romans chapter 12. It's page 947. There's Bibles in the chairs in front of you if you don't have one. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that with you. It's important to have one. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And when you arrive there and look at that first word, you'll see the word therefore. Some say, I appeal to you, therefore. Some begin, therefore, I appeal to you. The first word is therefore. And I learned this years ago. This is helpful. Anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's always a good idea to find out what it's there for. Very good. Get that? And it's true. Every time you see the word therefore, there's either a conclusion or an application coming after that. And so it's good to know, well, what came first? What came before that? So let's, let's, let's ask, what, what comes before that in Romans 1 through 11? Well, first, Romans is a masterpiece of theology from the Apostle Paul. And it has a lot to do with salvation. 
Some of the themes that Paul covers eloquently in the first 11 chapters are that all people are sinners and therefore all, without exception, need to be saved from their sins. Salvation is by faith alone, not by works. He talks about that. He talks about the former age, the old covenant, the Old Testament, has passed away and the new covenant in Christ with his church has begun. He talks about Christians are enabled by the Holy Spirit to live and enjoy a new life in Christ. It brings us up all this teaching to chapter 12. What do you do with all of this? And whether you've studied Romans or not, hopefully you get the sense that Jesus is a really big deal. And that's enough. Okay, if we have that, we can go on and arrive at Paul's application of this truth. What we do, what we find in Romans chapter 12 is that we arrive at our life's ultimate goal. And that's our first point is what our life goal, our ultimate goal should be total transformation. Ultimate goal, total transformation, no big deal, right? You might say, preacher, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get through the holidays. I'm just trying to make ends meet. I don't know if I'm ready to talk about total transformation. Let me just say, God is a patient, gracious God, but he's calling you. So listen to this word from, from his word this morning. We are covered in God's grace, and we are at peace and joy and power with the Holy Spirit, and we are in this together. So don't be overwhelmed with this. Be excited about this. Transformed. This sounds interesting. Transformed into what? What kind of person does God want me to be? What kind of person, what kind of church does God want this church to be? And I'll give you a hint. It's not a church where a few people do all the work of the ministry and everybody else just receives and goes home unchanged. No, it's, it's a church where everyone is equipped and, minister, and ministering as God has designed us to and everyone is being transformed. And this means you and me, everyone. So let's get into the text. Let's look at verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, I urge you, brothers, in view of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, Paul packs a lot into every sentence and every verse. And so we're going to unpack this. Uh, he says, Therefore, if you understand everything that I've said and believe what I've told you about Jesus and our lives in him, then you will live like this. You see, the Bible is not there just so we can learn about it and have head knowledge. It always calls us to respond. It changes our lives. It transforms us, convicts us, helps us grow. So what do we do? Therefore, he says, I urge you, I urge you to do this. Paul says to do what? We're going to break this down into three parts. First, Point A, by God's mercy, we present ourselves. Let's look at these words closely. Don't miss out, first of all, that everything we're talking about today is in view of God's mercies. It's only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ that we're alive and able to do anything of eternal value at all. So we need to give glory and credit to God. It's all because of God's mercies that we can do anything that matters and when, as we grasp that, next, our response begins with presenting our bodies to God. 
So the bodies here is a holistic term. It's our bodies. It's the soul that our body carries. It's our mind. It's everything about us. We present ourselves to God. Here I am, God. All of me is yours. You're the one who made me. You're the one who made me alive. So we present ourselves as what? As a living sacrifice. That's something we don't say very often in day-to-day -day language. And the wording is stranger than it looks because the word sacrifice in Greek is actually the word for a sacrificial animal that's been killed. So he's telling us to literally make our lives a living killing. In other words, Paul's saying this is both like and unlike the old animal sacrifices. With the old system, you killed an animal and shed its blood because the wages of sin is death. And by the shed blood of the animal, your sins are atoned. They're covered temporarily. And you can stand righteous before God and have that relationship with God again. And that's great until you sin again. But now Jesus' sacrifice ends all of the sin and guilt offerings. His blood is the last blood to be shed for forgiving our sins. So what is it that gets killed now? What gets killed now? We don't kill animals anymore. Jesus already died once. We don't kill ourselves. So what is it that gets killed now? And I'll tell you. You're not living the Christian life until you put to death the idea that you can choose to live any way that you want. Okay, we're following God now and we kill that. And now we live every moment to follow God's will, to follow Jesus. And we discover that that's infinitely better. Jesus doesn't ask for anything less than your whole self when he gives you new life. That's why it's a living sacrifice. But how does that look? How does that look in our day-to-day -day lives? And I'll tell you, every time that you choose not to look at something that you're sinful, that your flesh wants to look at, that will lead you into sin, and you choose not to do it because you're following God's will, you've just done it. You've made your life a living sacrifice. Every time you choose to share the gospel with somebody, even though you're scared and all you can get out is uh, Jesus, okay, you've done it. You have not followed your flesh. You have made yourself an offering to God, a living sacrifice. Every time you forgive someone that you don't want to forgive in your natural flesh, but you choose to because you're following Jesus and he said to love your enemies and forgive everyone. You've done it. You've made yourself an offering to God in that moment, a living sacrifice. And this is every moment of our living lives. This is our spiritual worship. See, we gather on the weekends for corporate worship, and that's, that's important and vital. But it's just a small part of our worship to God. The rest is every moment of our lives. We present ourselves as living sacrifices to God. At this, at this point, I just want to stop right now and pray. And pray a prayer of commitment to God. If you're a Christian right now, pray. Just You don't have to repeat this or anything. Just tell God that you agree with this. God is a living sacrifice. I no longer want to decide what must happen in my life. I want to accept and trust what you send me. So I live to worship you in every action that I take.
That is my prayer of commitment. Amen. I want to bring God into this because we are getting transformed here today. Amen? All right, that's our goal. Our ultimate goal is total transformation. Yeah, it takes a long time, but we're going to get there. It is by God's mercy that we present ourselves to, why? To become transformed. Verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is what we're after. This is the number one goal for Christians of the Christian life, to be transformed, to be changed. The, the theological word here is sanctification. To be sanctified just means becoming more holy, less like the world, more like God, more like Jesus in every way of our lives. So to become completely like Jesus in every way, I don't know about you, but for me, that's a lot of transformation. And it is. And this is the process of our entire Christian lives. And here's what Paul says in order to do it. First, he says, do not be conformed to this world. And we know, we know that the world is always trying to conform us, to make us the way it wants us to be. And whatever in the world that we allow pressed into us, we start bearing that image. What are the world's values? What are our cultures, it, the, the sinful part of our culture? It includes the worship of money. You know, this is so common, and I always have to check my own heart for this. Sometimes we think that if we'll be secure and we'll be happy if we just had a little bit more money. Okay, think about that, and you've probably had that sensation. Our security and our happiness doesn't come from money. It comes from God. Whatever the money situation is. So you might not think, I don't worship money. I don't have an altar to it or anything. But no, if you're finding your security and your happiness comes from it, and you'll lose those things if you lose the money, that means your worship, that's your heart, is following money. But that's, the, that's our culture's value, is that it's all, man, if we just have a little bit more money. No, our, that comes from God. What else? Politics. The world of politics is very powerful in our lives, and it's always demanding us to choose one side and to hate the other person. That's don't let yourself be conformed to the world, but to Christ. School, the things we learn at school that are opposed to God, that's trying to conform us to be opposed to God. So be careful of those things. Friends, that's why it's so important to choose the right friends. Young people and older people, uh, choosing the wrong friends will conform you wrongly. It will. Do not be conformed to the world. Entertainment and pop culture is thought by many to be the most influencing I think we can all admit that we, we take things in on TV or in our music and we find ourselves starting to approve of things that God doesn't approve of. It just happens. The world conforms us to its image. So be not conformed to the world. That's the first part is to be on guard for that. But God in his word never calls us away from something without telling us what to go towards. There's never a don't without a do that's so much better. And in this text, here's what it is. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And what does that mean? The renewing, what is this renewing of our minds that will transform us? It is being with Christ. 
being in fellowship with him in prayer, reading about uh, him and God and his plan and his message to us from his word, being with Christian people, listening to Christian music, singing, worshiping, the renewing of our mind. See, it's an objective faith. Jesus is a historical character that did historical things in the gospel. We need to know the Bible of the Jesus of the Bible or else we're just worshiping the Jesus in our own image. Be conformed by the renewing of your mind. See what the Bible says about itself. Psalm 119, 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or Paul in Colossians chapter 3 writes something similar. You have put off the old man with his deeds okay, and put on the new man who is, here's our word, renewed in knowledge according to him who created him. You want peace in your life? Paul says in Philippians 4, renew your minds. Think on these things. He says, whatever things are true, noble, we sang this, just, whatever things are pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, think on these things. Meditate on these things. And here's the promise. And the peace of God will be upon you. You want peace in your life? Renew your minds. Think on those things. So Paul's prayer and his goal is that all believers should be transformed entirely like Jesus in every way. That's the exciting adventure of our lives. By the mercy of God, we present ourselves to God to become transformed. Why? So that what happens? So that we may discern God's will for us. He says, so that we may discern what, God's, what is God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's goal for us is that we Christians so th thoroughly are renewed and that we know him so well and from within so that we almost instinctively can recognize what God's will is for us to do in every situation that we face. That's why this is a relationship with God. In, in a relationship, you need to know the person. I think of my wife. We've been married for 13 years. And over those years, I have learned to pretty much know what she's thinking because I know her. This is how we know God, by the renewing of our minds, not being distracted, conformed by the world, so that we will be transformed, so that we'll know God's will for our lives. And it, it sometimes everybody wants to know what God's will is for your life. Now, for total transformation, we could stop right here and we could go and we could just meditate on these things and set our lives on a trajectory to know God and, and fellowship with him and be transformed. But we can't stop here. Because by God's design, we've only talked about the vertical relationship with God. And by his design, we can't stop there. We have to pour out the overflow of this growing relationship with God over to other people. That's what we're called to do now. And that's the rest of this transformation. That's point two. How our life goal of transformation is achieved. So let's go to this next point. And we see it's achieved in two different ways. The first is by our life in common. We do this together. It does not happen without each other. We cannot 
God's plan for our lives is not to lock ourselves in the prayer closet for 24 hours a day and get fed through a, a hole in the door. That is not the Christian life. What he's called us to do is to receive the overflow from a relationship from him, with him, pour out to others. And so Paul goes there next in verses 3 through 8, and he starts with an important point about how we view ourselves before we, we talk about how we work with others. So our relationship with God and then important way of how we view ourselves before we get into all the exciting talk about how we work with others. Let's look at verse 3. He says, For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So let's break that down. If you've looked ahead in the text, you know that Paul is about to talk about spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts is an exciting topic. It's fun to, to imagine, see the power and, and imagine what God is doing in our life, what he's gifted us with, how he's going to use us in the church. But Paul knows that a necessary place to start is right here because with an accurate view of ourselves because spiritual gifts are a breeding ground for pride. So he knows that. So with all humility, this is important. The life that we have in common is all about humility. That's what Jesus taught us. And pride will kill this whole thing. And there's conflict among brothers and sisters here because we're humans. And there's pride. And pride will kill this whole thing that Jesus is doing in his church. The world, the world runs wild with pride too. The world says, puff yourself up. You deserve it. And that sounds good to our flesh. That feels good to think that way. But Jesus calls for humility. He says, if you want to boast in anything, boast in me. Boast that we know Jesus. For us, he calls for sound or sober judgment of ourselves. Not thinking too high of yourself or too low of yourself. Let me illustrate that. We have a young friend who years ago... realized, was convicted by this verse. She has an incredible singing voice. And she came to conviction through this verse of having sound judgment with yourself. She realized that she was so shy that she was downplaying her ability to sing, acting like it wasn't really that good. Until she realized that, no, that's not fair to the creator who gave me that ability. And so having that conviction had enabled her to give glory to God for her ability to be honest about it and then use it to her greatest ability to serve God and glorify him. See, everything we have is by God's grace. And so we can't think too highly or too lowly about ourselves, but accurately. So that's the important lesson about how we view ourselves first. And with that, now we can go to find our life in common as the body of Christ. Let's read verses 4 and 5. With this self, accurate self-judgment, Paul says now, For we, as in one body we have many members, this is our human body he's talking about, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And, listen to this, individually members of one another. So Paul uses the body imagery several, several times in his letters, and it's um, understandable why he does that, because we can all relate to that. We all have a body. And, and we understand, it's easy to grasp, that a body is healthy when all of its parts are healthy. 
All the body parts are needed and appreciated. Have you ever noticed how appreciative you are that you have fingernails whenever you have an itch? Ooh, it's nice to have fingernails. Every part of the body is needed and appreciated. A church is the body of Christ. Jesus is our head, and the church is his body. The universal church, that's all the believers around the world are the body of Christ ultimately, but its, its expression is in all the millions of local churches in the world. This is the group, the body of Christ, that we apply this to. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. God is building his body out of us, and we all need each other's parts, our ministries around us. So that leads us to our individual spiritual gifts, God's gifts that become our goals. We're going to go there. Let's review just before we go on, though. Where we've been, we achieve our life's ultimate goal by being living sacrifices being transformed by the renewing of our minds, discerning God's will, which includes others as a body, as the body of Christ that we have in common, and now point B, through God's gifts that differ. We have this body in common. We have gifts that are different. We have a diversity of spiritual gifts in this gathering that God will use to achieve his will, and his goals for us. These are called spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk about those now with the rest of our time. This is fun. So let's start with a definition of spiritual gifts so we're all understanding what we're talking about. This is taken from several different scriptures to make up a really good definition. A spiritual gift is a special ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer, and if you're not a believer in Jesus yet, you have not been given this gift, one of these gifts. But I pray that the Holy Spirit's calling you today to trust Jesus, and you'll receive this. To be used, to minister to others, and therefore build up the body of Christ. These are not natural abilities like uh, music or excelling in business or playing sports, or nurturing children. Those are God-given abilities also that he's given you and expects you to use for his glory. But this category of spiritual gifts is different. It's a special ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer, used to minister to others, to build up the body of Christ. Now, the apostles Peter and Paul both give lists in their letters to the churches that they're writing to. And if you compare all the lists, they're not the same. They're all different. And it's pretty clear why. It's because none of them are, are complete lists because you can't pin down the Holy Spirit. There's no telling. He can do all kinds of different things. But we have a lot of different spiritual gifts to look at. And they're all different. And here's how God works through his churches. Because the Holy Spirit decides how to give each believer gifts to build up that unique church that exists in the community and the time and the culture that it exists for the purposes that it's called to do. And he does this in millions of local churches all throughout history. Isn't that fantastic? This is how God works. So he's given us each of these unique, individual, different gifts to use each other. And we've got to use it. We just have to obey and use these. And 
Paul only gives seven of them here. There are many more given in Scripture. We're going to just look briefly at these seven. We do teach a class called the Shape class, and that's coming up again in March. This is one of the most enjoyable classes that we teach. Shape is an acronym, and S is the, the first thing we study. We study all five of these with excellent Bible teaching and then self-assessment, how, how we have each of these. And I encourage you to take this. It's, it's very enjoyable. So spiritual gifts, we'll talk a whole lot more about it there. Heart, what makes your heart race? There's a reason for that. A is your abilities. P is your personality. So we do personality assessment and so you know yourself and how to work well with others. And then E is your experiences, good and bad. All have made you the person that you are to serve God's purposes. So I encourage you to do that. But with this time that we have right now, we're going to look at these next three verses, the seven gifts that Paul talks about. And I think that everyone will connect to some level with at least one of them. And you'll see and you'll question and you'll ask God, what have you given me, God? How and how can I use it for you? All right, so we're going to start here. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. There's the command. We have them. The command is to use them. And if you're choosing not to use them to serve believers, to build up the church, to reach the world, uh, then you're breaking commandments, and that's not ever a good thing to do. So use them. The first in verse 6 is, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Paul gives a little application about each of those. So if your gift is prophecy, use it to the proportion of your faith. Now, prophecy, what is prophecy? It means proclaiming the word of God. Proclaiming the word of God. Uh, in our culture, prophecy typically means telling the future, right? Oh, prophecy, yeah. It's really neat. Miss Cleo does that on TV. I don't know if she's still doing that, but... Uh, biblically, prophecy is giving a me proclaiming the message from God. Now, God did use Bible prophets to foretell the future, but that was only a small part of what they did. They did more foretelling than foretelling. That's proclaiming God's word to his people. Now that the canon of Scripture has been closed, um, no, no future-telling prophecies are given on par with Scripture. We have the Word of God. People are given this gift to proclaim the message of God that we have. And we need people with this gift to use their gift because proclaiming the Word, according to 1 Corinthians 14.3, this is what it does for people. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So people with this gift need to use it because people need to be strengthened, encouraged, and comforted by the word. So use it. Verse 7 has the next two gifts which will build up the church. He says, if service is your gift, use it in your serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. Let's look at each of those. Serving. Now this is one of those, some of these every Christian is called to follow Christ, and, and he taught us to serve. So everybody serves. If you have the gift of serving, it is an additional gift, one that allows you to help believers in virtually any need that maybe other people won't touch. And there are plenty of needs to keep us all busy. Now, before anybody here says about all these things, maybe you've been thinking, God doesn't want to use me. God can't use me. Or maybe you're thinking, I've made such a mess of my life that God could never use me. 
You know, it's sad to hear that because it's so not true. And in fact, I'm going to prove it to you. Consider virtually everybody in Scripture you'll ever read about and see if you can relate to any of these. I'll just give you a few. Moses, mouthpiece of God, had a speaking problem. Abraham and Sarah were too old. David's armor didn't fit. He was too young and he had an affair. Timothy had ulcers. Solomon was too rich and the widow was too poor. Amos' only training was in fig tree pruning. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Paul was a murderer. Some of these others were too. Elijah was burned out. Noah struggled with alcohol. And Peter was afraid of death. And Lazarus was dead. Now you can see that God uses every, anyone and everyone. And he has chosen you. He has saved you and he has chosen you to do something specific for him. What I love about spiritual gifts is you don't have to be put in a box in, your, in the way that you serve God. He can do lots of different things with us. And lots of people in the church have uh, the gift of serving. So serve well, brothers and sisters. Now, next is teaching. I'm just going to go quickly through this. Lot, there are a lot of teachers in, in the church. Tons of people. Remember, this is a qualification of elders to be apt to teach, to be able to teach. And yet you don't see all the elder board up here teaching from the front of a room. And that's because lecturing from the front of the room is only one way of many ways to teach, to teach the word. So what are some of the other ways? Discipling and mentoring. There's so much of that happening at Lake City. I'm in a unique position to, to see and hear about all these relationships within the small groups, within the ministries, just among friends. People are discipling, mentoring other people, teaching the word of God. But we want more of that. It's so good. Well, there are classes and, and other things to teach as well. But how about some of these? There's facilitating discussion. So many small group leaders are doing this. Asking questions, answering questions, writing, using media, technology, drama, and on and on and on. Those with the gift of teaching have the ability to study the word, to know the word, and then to teach it in such a way that makes sense and helps other people's lives be changed by the word. So teachers, teach. Verse 8 has the next four. We're going to keep going. Again, as members of each other, as one body... We've got to use these. Okay, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes or gives, give in generosity, the one who leads, lead with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, do them with cheerfulness. Exhorting. What does exhorting mean? It means coming alongside to help one act. This isn't just teaching from a stage. This person has the ability to appeal to the will of another person to do what's right, to do what's healthy for them, for others, for God. I'm better in my life because of so many Christian exhorters that God has put in my life, whether it be coaches or teachers or bosses, pastors, people that have come alongside and said, no, go this way in life. We need exhorters to exhort. I love seeing these on our ministry teams. Uh, all the ministry teams, like secu security, for instance. We have security guys that are speaking truth into each other's lives. We're exhorting each other uh, to grow in Christ. This is great. Keep it up. 
Second is giving, contributing. Now again, every follower of Jesus is called to give. It's an act of worship. But there's a a set of people that have this spiritual gift to go even further by having an unusual willingness to share their material goods for the needs of people and for the work of the ministry. In generosity means with liberality. Rich and poor people can have this gift. For instance, I'm inspired when I see missionaries giving to other missionaries. And I've heard people say they've been asked why, you know, you're poor and, and your support, your, your, your income is by other people's support. Why would you give some of that to another missionary? And, and I heard one say, you know, how dare you take away the blessing from me to give to the work of another nation getting the gospel of Christ? And I say amen to that. The gift of giving. Use that gift if you have it. Leading is another one, and it's essential. We have a lot of leaders in this church, and we need them because of sayings like, everything rises and falls on leadership, which is, oh man, it's proven to be true so many times. So leaders lead on. And Paul says, how do you lead? You lead with zeal. That means serious energy and commitment to the task and to the people that you have. And I'm mostly involved with small group leader training. Uh, we have almost 30 small groups. We have leader training come up in the next two weeks. That's always open for anybody. If you think that you're a leader naturally, that God has given you that or given you that spiritual gift, uh, you're welcome to come to our small group leader trainings. They're always open. Just uh, RSVP on your yellow card or something so we're prepared. But all ministries support and train leaders to lead in the church. So praise God. Lead if, if that is your gift. Do it. And then last, showing mercy. And people with this particular gift are valued so much. They're like a healing ointment within the church. And they're valued and treasured so much because everyone at some point in your life will be in a time where you're poor, where you're sick, where you're burned out, you're troubled, you're grieving, you're suffering. And we need the friendly, faithful compassion of someone to show us mercy. And we're carried through by that and our body and our lives are stronger because of it. And I see that all around the church as well and I've received that when I've needed it. This is what the Holy Spirit's doing through Christ's church. Of course, we have ministries that, that provide this specifically like Grief Share, Others Food Bank, Caring Meals Ministry is one thing that my wife leads and if you'd like to cook and didn't know we had such a thing, if you'd like to cook to help alleviate people from a difficult time, you can write that on that, on that yellow card and be added to the cooking list as well. So many things. Again, all of these, all of these gifts are needed in the body, in our church family, the body of Christ, to bring us up in health and unity and maturity and help that overflow pour out into the world and bless the world and bring the gospel to it. Do you see why we need you? I hope that you do. Now, I do have some next steps, some action items that you can take right now, but um, they're not on your notes. What I'm actually going to invite you to do, ask you to do, is close your Bibles and put away your sermon notes. Go ahead and do that right now and then pull out the bulletin if you have one. If you don't, you can look on, 
uh, to your neighbors. And I want to draw special attention as I go through the next steps real quick to a few things that are in here. The first next step, this will be on the screen just so you can see it, is I will serve in Jesus' body. That was Paul's command. Use them. Use those gifts. Now, if you're already serving, and so many people are, and I could just walk through and point out so many of you by name that are serving, and it's awesome. If you're doing that, keep it up. And if you're close to being burned out or you need some other support, please let your leaders know. We don't want to lose you. Um, and that, that wouldn't be right either. Um, everyone else, now, and I know that Trust me, this church acknowledges that many people might not be in a position in life, a season in life to serve. You might be in a season of life where you need to be served. And to you, I would say, be open to the ministry of God's people in your life. For everyone else, don't resist the will of the, of the Holy Spirit. Here's what we have. First of all, we have, speaking of the gift of giving, uh, this one is just a celebration of the Tomogic Change Drive that we had this summer. We got all the money dispersed, and I just want to celebrate that, that this is what happens when givers give to the work of God. The, the, the items here are healthy. The work in Niger is going, uh, it's a very difficult part of the world, but things are going well, and that's a, that's a great blessing. Just praise God for that. This one here, the salmon-colored paper, uh, we have polled the ministry leaders to see exactly what the needs are in their ministries. There, there are the numbers. And each one of you who says, okay, I'm going to spend the new year. This is one of my goals. I'm going to serve in the church. And you, and you jump into one of these and take those numbers down. Hey, we will rejoice. That we will be stronger because of that. And you'll be more fulfilled following the Holy Spirit. So take a look at those. Notice especially the big numbers under the pathways. Ministries, the greeters, security, ushers. Uh, welcome Center because once we moved into this building, uh, there's a lot more entrances and aisles. And that's a great, easy place to start. Great groups of people on those teams. Uh, but consider all the rest of them, um, knowing that you have great opportunities to get started. Okay, next is I will minister in a small group. Uh, in fact, if you're sitting on one of the aisles with the stacks of the little folded papers with the yellow slips, would you grab that stack and pass it down the aisle? This is a small group catalog, and we, we pass these down the aisles every fall, and then in January, these are our two small group semesters, and, and the semester is about to kick off Jan the week of January 13th, so we have a couple weeks to get everybody plugged into a group. What you see here are the groups that are open, or the brand new groups, uh, and all these leaders and groups are ready to welcome you as we kick off a new year, a new term. A new season. This is a great time to jump in. You can write down one or two or three groups that, that look interesting that you want to be contacted about. And Lord willing, we'll get everybody plugged in uh, to connection here at, in the Lake City family. But I didn't just say I will join a small group. No, I, we're taking it a step further here in 2019. I want everybody to minister to a group. Tell your leader, I want to help how I can. We're going to make this group strong. That's the church being the church. Third is I will participate in what the church offers. You know, if we just preach a message like this from the pulpit and then don't do anything to actually equip and to help and support, uh, we'd be dreaming and it would be disappointing. So we do those things. Like I, I talked about small group leader training. Those details are in the bulletin right in the middle. Then there's the membership class. There's a whole bunch of other stuff too. But the membership class is coming up in February. Encourage you for that. And then the shape class, March 16th. In addition to all the, the men's Bible study and the women's Bible study and the teams and other connection points, um, we have these 
official things, and I, want, I just want to invite everybody to, to take advantage of those. And you can write uh, your interest on the yellow cards and, and be in communication about all those things that are coming up. All right, we're going to start 2019 well, pursuing our ultimate goal. So starting today, let's worship God from now on as the living, sacrificing, serving people, children of God that he has called us to be and saved us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to close with a prayer again of commitment, of dedication of our lives, of gratitude for giving us life calling us to do great things in our own special, unique way that the Holy Spirit has indwelled us and empowered us to do for you, for each other, for the world. It's exciting. I pray that everybody has a certain joy about that and a, a great season of discovery and application. And I can't wait to enjoy the fruits of that together. I pray that the world around us will be blessed by the joy on our faces now as we drive home and go wherever we're going this week. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.